Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 28. But utilizing goats in this type of management practice is not as common. And so it's, you know, I'm kind of working on, it's taken more time just to work with what I have to get to where I'm going. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. I'm Cal Hardage, your host. On today's episode, we have Leslie Sachina of Silent Rolling Acres. She is in Wisconsin and grazing meat goats. I'm very excited to have Leslie on. It's been a few episodes since we had a producer focusing so much on meat goats on the podcast. In fact, as I quickly think back, I think Ben Hobbig was on a early episode and he was mainly focused on meat goats. Leslie, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited to have a goat producer on here today. Thanks for having me, Cal. Leslie, can you tell us about yourself and your operation? Sure. Um, my name is Leslie Sachina, and I own and um, operate Cylon Rolling Acres. We're a grass-based livestock farm in western Wisconsin. So our farm is about an hour east of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, and I raise meat goats on pasture. We have about um, 140 acres on our farm. About 20 of it is in permanent pasture and about 20 acres in hay ground. And then um, the rest of it is we have a, um, in woods or other farm you know, oh, yeah. stead um, areas. So we've... Um, our goats are, we raise a herd of boar Kiko cross meat goats, and our herd is about 40, somewhere between 40 to 50 head of breeding animals right now. Um, and I know you mentioned you you have raised goats in the past, yes. and so our herd, you know, while that's our breeding size herd, um, at a high during the year, we could be up to, you know, anywhere between like 120 to 150 head of, of excuse me, animals. Um, as since we're still grazing, I'm still growing my herd. Um, we are raising some feeder market goats along with our herd, um, just because most of our our does doe kids were we're keeping to replace for replacement stock for our herd. I probably get into a little bit more, but we've been doing a lot of. Um, management of our herd to continue to build a hardy herd that performs well on pasture and then of course the other characteristics you want in your livestock and go you know and particularly goats too so that's been kind of a an ongoing process of growing our herd but um on our our acreage we we graze our permanent pasture but we've also been starting to graze in our woods and work on renovating our woods um has a lot of overgrown um, oak savanna so um, working on trying to convert that over to utilize it for um, and manage grazing with silo pasture and then um, we also then direct market all of our goat meat direct to consumer and also work with local retailers and um, for wholesale accounts and our wholesale accounts are within about an hour of our farm most of them are in the twin cities um, the metro area that's in our area but there's a number of accounts that we have even just in our own backyard here in in rural wisconsin our direct to market um, consumer business is um, has expanded to where we also we have offer on-farm pickup for order but also ship across the country as well Um, and a little bit on our farm you know we worked i've been raising goats for about eight years we bought our farm almost 10 years ago and the last, I'd say, five years, we really had a focus on direct marketing. Before that was kind of getting the feel of 
grazing goats, getting the infrastructure set up and so forth. And um, early on, we worked with NRCS to get our grazing plan set up and really get our infrastructure set up. Um, you know, our farm was in a retired dairy farm, um, given that we're in Wisconsin, that's probably no surprise. And then eventually it was beef. Our pastures were overgrown from CRP set aside. Um, but we definitely were in need of new fencing. So we had updated our fencing. I knew one thing with my little bit of research on goats before we got into it, that fencing was very important. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we were all set up, um, to continue to move our, our farm forward in the future. So that's a little bit about where we're at with the farm operation, kind of at a high level. Very good. Very interesting too. Now let's jump back. You said you got goats about eight years ago. Mm -hmm. did, yes. Did you have experience with goats before that or other agricultural experience? No to the goats. Um, I didn't have, I always, people always ask that if I had a, a pet goat growing up or a 4-H project, and I didn't. Um, <laughs> I didn't grow up on a farm, but when I was in high school, I grew up in a, a rural area um, in northeastern Wisconsin. And so through being involved in FFA and agriculture education, I kind of found my way into agriculture. Um growing up and, and studied agriculture in college. Um, I worked in the egg business side of things um, after I graduated um, college in the Twin Cities working in communications and marketing. But then um, my husband grew up on a dairy farm about an hour north of where we live. And oh, yes. my, my family has a small business, uh, is a, owns a small um, family business. And so the whole idea of owning my own business, whether, you know, this happens to be a farm does I, it doesn't surprise me now that I look back at what I, I think I was going to get into goats no but when we started looking at at buying land um, my husband wanted some land for recreational purposes and then we're like well maybe we should put it to use you know as well um, oh, yes. and then of course you never can have that much land and what started with maybe 20 <laughs> the 40 acres is now 140 but that you know has become to, to grow more just because of the interest in farming but the reason we I, I, we focused in on goats is um, I started to look at market opportunity. And one of my friends is a high school teacher in a community north of us. And she had recommended they have a large um, Somalian population in their community. Oh, and she's yes. like, you should really take a look at raising meat goats. And she had mentioned um, the growing trend with um, the diversity in our, not just in our backyard, but also, you know, in general with our population oh, um, yes. across the United States. And a lot of um, folks from a variety of cultural backgrounds, you know, have grown up eating goat meat, or maybe it's a special occasion, a special dish, and you know, dietary preferences change, and which has led to you know an increased demand for this protein. And then, um, as I kind of dug into it a little bit further, realized that goat meat um, is actually like there's like not a, much infrastructure out there when you think of like go to market strategy as you do with beef or I mean even lamb. Um, poultry, other proteins, and so realized that there was some market opportunity there given that it's really hard to find in the grocery store. And if you do find it, typically it's imported um, from Australia. Yes. And so it's, you know, those two pieces kind of married together of finding market opportunity. And then um, my, you know, as we looked at the farm itself, I knew I'd be managing it all on my own and um, managing small ruminants for probably 95% of what I do, I can manage a lot of it on my own. I don't mind having the extra help if I have it, you know, for my kids right, or my husband, yes. but, um, but it's, I knew that, you know, kind of pairing that market opportunity and man, you know, something I could manage on my own, you know, from a physical standpoint was, um, kind of fit the bill as we kind of looked at opportunity for the farm. 
So then as I kind of got into goats, I started to learn more about grazing through some of um, the small business, um, agribusiness and um, women in agriculture networks I'm a part of. And then I just, it just seemed like, well, that makes sense. We should be, this should be a part of what we're doing in the future for how we manage our land and also raise our animals. So you highlighted some very important points there with goat meat. Uh, the U.S. imports way more goat meat than what we can even produce. The consumption is crazy for goat meat. Um, not so much in my area, but like you mentioned, food trends are tr changing. And then mm -hmm. we have the v diversity coming in. But goat meat is becoming something that more people's aware of. More people, I've ate, eaten goat meat more in the last 10 years of my life than I did in the first 30 years of my life. So it is changing. Now, when you decided, you looked into this, you saw the opportunity, you thought, thought, hey, goats work for me, I can do it. Then you looked at your farm. What do you have to do to get it ready for goats? Yeah, so our farm, we were fortunate when we purchased it, the, uh, there were several outbuildings that we could use for um especially or especially oh, yes. in winter when we think about wisconsin we um we don't have the the opportunity to graze year round you can try <laughs> hard but um we you know we have a number so we have a couple of barns that we need to do a little bit of work on but one um, we, are, we we use as our main goat barn and our second dairy barn we're able to use for hay storage and some overflow pens but to really get it set up we had to put up new fencing um, the existing fencing was already was you know grown into the tree line, and I don't know. Um, it probably had been years since there actually had been oh, cattle yes. on the land, so we had to put in infrastructure for fencing. Um, we put in um, seasonal water line um, for uh, having water for grazing, also some animal walkways, and so those were the really key pieces for getting the farm set up. Um, you know, we did some of it ourselves, but with goat fencing, it's it's pretty expensive, and we wanted to, I wanted to make sure it was done right. So that was one thing that we, um, you know, bit the bullet and had somebody, a professional, come in and do it for us. But I'm glad we did that because um, I think anybody that I ever meet that said that they had, oh, you have goats, and then they their first story is about how they had a goat oh, and it got yes. out and jumped on somebody's vehicle or oh, some yes. bad story you know story that gives goats right. a bad name so um you know that was the biggest thing for us is really getting that fencing infrastructure set up um you know we were fortunate with the barn to be able to have a facility to have our house our goats before we were able to graze them but really once we had that 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 perimeter fence up then we were really um set to go um you know for the first especially for that oh, first yes. season of grazing and what's your perimeter fence look like we have a high strand tensile wire on t on the top that's hot and then woven wire and then uh, barbed on the bottom so part of that is to keep obviously keep the goats in but we have guardian we have three guardian dogs so we want to keep them in as well um, from jumping over or going right crawling under and then of course to keep predators out as well um, we have plenty of options for predators so that that fencing is <laughs> yes. is also one of the other important reasons why we wanted to invest in good fencing too okay so on the mm -hmm. woven wire mm -hmm. do you get your goat's head stuck in it yes so it's kind of the give and take of having woven <laughs> wire so where we run into yes. issues is when they're kind of in their teenage years so when their right. yearlings and their horns are just oh, starting yes. to come in once they get older um 
either of their horns, especially now that we have more Kiko in our herd, yeah. they have a hard time getting their heads through. Um, the ones that are have more boar horns, which are more kind of smooth and straight back, tend to learn the right technique to get in and out. Um, oh, yes. But yeah, we have two of them right now that are continuously getting stuck. But eventually um, they will outgrow that. So oh, but yes. it's for the little bit of time that it happens, um, it's kind of aggravating, but it it's better. I look at it. It's better than having it goats get out oh, and yes. I've got to, yes. you know, hunt them down or have the sheriff's department calling me or our upset neighbor. Oh, <laughs> I agree. Now, um, on our woven wire, we put up, um, goat woven wire that's got the stays, mm-hmm. I think 12 inches apart. So most okay. of the time they can get their head out without a problem. I say most mm-hmm. of the time, almost always, because they're able to turn the head mm-hmm. to the side. And I'm sorry you're listening to this on podcast because I'm doing the doing it with my face. <laughs> but you turn it, and then they bring their chin down, and they're mm-hmm. able to get out. Sadly, I have some cattle panels. And like you said, those mm-hmm. teenagers, those yearlings will get their head stuck in those cattle panels without fail. So I'm always excited for them to outgrow that stage. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I can identify with that. <laughs> <laughs> now, one other thing you mentioned was the, the barn aspect, and I know uh, you're working in much colder temperature or, or climate. We're mm-hmm. going to talk about that in just a minute. But yep. here, when it rains, you know, the cattle's out there, they're fine. The sheep, they don't care. The goats, if there is one drop of rain falls from the sky, they're running to the barn. They don't like mm-hmm. the rain. So having barns there has that been your experience with your goats i would say yes to an extent um that i let them have access to the barn so once we once we start grazing um they don't have access to the barn so they we only use it during kidding season and and over winter oh yes so once we're out on pasture they have um we have some pasture shelters that we have that are kind of like little huts or they're repurposed oh yes um, calf hutches like group calf hutches and they're strictly more just for some shade or a rain cover we or you know for rain cover but i've been my goats don't like being wet but i've been <laughs> impressed now that we've been grazing how um, on days in the summertime when especially early spring when we have a lot more rain oh yes that they'll still go out and graze in the rain um they may not always like it, but oh. you know they're. I think they're. I think they're hardier than they like to let on. Oh, very. But good. Um, they definitely, you know, they don't always. They definitely um, don't do well with the rain. So I we've tried to set up our our grazing system to accommodate for them to an extent, which has included some shelter. Right. Yes. My goats were were not fans of rain. Now one of the mm-hmm. first farms I got my uh, original stock from, they had some tanks cut in half. And then they put gates on front of it so only the kids could go in the tanks for shelter. Mm. They wanted their doe, mm-hmm. they didn't want their does running inside at all. Um, That's an interesting idea. Yeah. I assume it worked good because they, they had a fairly large herd and was doing really well with it. Mm-hmm. Now, as we talk about rain, let's talk about what kind of climate you're in there for those people not familiar with Wisconsin. Tell us a little bit about your climate. Sure. Um, so for Wisconsin... We are 
I'll kind of talk about it in kind of terms of like how when our seasons oh, okay. kind of come and go. So, um, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're cold, you know, we're colder, but in the, in the springtime, our spring, um, will tend to start sometime around April to May. It kind of depends on when mother nature wants to let us out of her, her grips, but we'll typically, um, you know, hopefully by May we're, 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 st- we're starting the grazing season and our grass is at a, a, g- a good height to get started. Um, you know, we will you typically see quite a bit of, of rain and, and moisture, um, probably until about the end of July and then things start to slow down. We still will get rainfall, but it kind of starts to taper oh, off yes. at, at that point or it's a little more intermittent. Um, and then, then typically we will have a pretty good grazing season up until probably about the end of October. And then we kind of see what we can get from there. Um, so winter sometimes can be onset. If, well, I say October, um, typically if I can get graze until December 1st, I'm really happy. Oh yes. Um, but that kind of depends on when we get snow and when the cold weather sets in. So this year we actually had snow like mid October. Um, so we had to, um, pull up fences and it just, it gets, it gets tough for, how we can manage our subdivided paddocks, um, especially with the goats when we've got, we have a little bit, we're not working just with step and posts and one strand of wire. So oh, it yes. just kind of gets a little more complicated that way. But yeah, so then in the winter time, um, kind of around December time, you know, we'll usually end up getting snow and, but our weather can really then start to make a drop um, to um, single digits. Um, it's not uncommon to be below zero. Sometimes we've had stretches um, 25 below zero. So we have to really look at how we adapt our goats to kind of hardy up for winter as well. But then also that means we have to kind of take that into consideration for winter feeding. You know, we, we try as much as we can to stockpile um, our pasture just to extend our grazing season. But really at some point it's hard to extend it, you know, into the really cold months and with this with the snow as well right yeah so hopefully that helps oh with it your, does the description of our our weather so in our seasonality it does you you mm-hmm. do get a fair amount of snow so that limits how long your stockpile is going to last and you have a fairly lengthy mm-hmm. cold season uh, at least relative to yes to myself mm-hmm. in oklahoma and a lot more snow we we get a little bit but not a great mm-hmm. amount now, when you talked about rainfall, about how much do you get each year? We're about about 33 inches of rain. Oh, okay. It's something I'm always curious about. And and it's especially important mm-hmm. with small ruminants because as we we think about the amount mm-hmm. of rainfall, we've got to consider oh, exactly. parasite, how we're handling those internal parasites on goats and sheep. And yeah, and definitely goats. when we are in our more rainy season or we have... Um, or it's yeah, rainier, we definitely are looking at like where we have our goats on pasture. There's some areas where we have dry runs where water will um, flow through there seasonally or when we are, when it's rainier in June, um, where there's more standing water. And so we really want to try to either, we avoid those areas where we move through there, we move through there a lot quicker. Oh yeah. We also have added um, more um, portable fencing that I feel comfortable using outside of our, our perimeter fence. Um, We'll continue to also utilize other areas on our farm for grazing that we maybe haven't had in the past. So we can either let some of those areas, you know, either avoid some of those areas or hold off on some of those wet areas to graze a little bit later in the season, you know, to kind of work with parasites as well. Oh, yes. Very good. 
What kind of forages do you have in your area? Yeah, so the forages, so when we um, started working on getting our our pastures established, we focused on letting the goats help us renovate the pastures to start with, which was a great advice. Now looking back, I'm like, of course, that makes sense. Um, But it was great advice from our grazing specialist with NRCS at the time. Um, And so since then they so they took we did one first round of of grazing there and then we started to let the existing seed bed start to come back into play and so the most of our pastures had been as i mentioned before um in old like crp set aside and so they had been um they're overgrown there's there's still some trees still growing in there and other brush um it's changed a lot over time just simply with grazing but we have and we've done a little bit of planning as well but what we what we typically have we see in our pasture which is are are pretty diverse is a mix of um, alfalfa we've got different clovers red um, white sweet clover orchard grass um Timothy, brome, ryegrass. We've also done some addition of smother forages that, well, I guess forbs is probably the better terminology, um, that are trying to look for ways that I can add more plants or more species that are targeted towards goats. So we've added chicory and bird's foot trefoil and plantain as well. Um, You know, I'm always kind of looking at how can I what can I add for diversity? Because I found that the diversity really helps our pastures um, thrive throughout the year. We still have a lot more to do to continue to, ex- you know, especially extend that grazing. Oh, yes. You know, help with um, having higher quality, especially in August. But we've been, diversity has really been, been key. Oh, yes. Yes. It does help out greatly. When you added those grasses did you drill them in or did you broadcast how'd you get those additional species there sure so um how we we've taken a number of different approaches to seed our our pastures and so um we've kind of focused on different areas where either we've needed to put more attention on it um and kind of done it in in different stages just so we could continue to utilize our pastures versus not putting too much pressure on them early on some of our areas were very um bumpy from i don't know what they are like moles or woodchucks or something and so we've done some areas we've done oh yes um um, more tillage and maybe we probably would you know doing down the road but we've done a little bit of light light disking and have done used a we have a small little planter um where we would then um, you know, direct seed the the seed in. Um, and when we did that that um, disking, we just did it lightly, just to to rough it up, just to you know allow for this oh, the yes. seeds to get in there, but still try to maintain um, some of the existing um, plant life that's there. Um, so that we've we've taken that approach. Um, we've also one season we were going to rent a no-till drill from our local. Um, fish and wildlife office but because i wanted to plant bird's foot tree foot foil um they consider that an invasive species so we had to go do a plan b which is you know <laughs> fine um, but i wanted bird's foot tree foil so i wasn't going to not plant yes. that so on um, that year we decided to just try a modified approach with our um, little grain drill that we have we have a little five foot grain drill and so we just set the um, the drill settings to the lowest possible um 
that we could and just tried to take an approach of trying to make it work like a no-till drill even though it wasn't a, it's not a no-till drill and it actually seemed um well we were hoping that it would work well but we we were able we pl- we planted white clover and the bird's foot trefoil and we did see the clover come up um, bird's foot trefoil we didn't quite start to see established for another couple of years but that kind of takes time so um I'd say it worked out okay considering that we were trying to take a modified approach with the resources we had. Um, but then we've um, last year we we rented a, a real no-till drill from one of my friends who has one um, at a neighboring farm. And so we use that to do some work to to also enhance our pastures and our hay oh, ground. Yes. And then um, this year we've done also done a little bit of um, winter or um frost seeding like hand broadcasting so I did a little bit of that this season we did quite a bit more of um, bale grazing without um, hay feeders this year because I wanted to put more emphasis on building um, our one pasture that is that we usually outwinter our goats in and for feeding um, just because the quality of the pasture hasn't been as as strong with the plant species and and so forth and so we've um we had more. We have more hay residue out there, which is is good for a lot of other reasons. But I also thought it might be. It probably would be a good um, conduit for helping germinate our seeds as spring comes along too. So yeah, we've we've done um, different inner different seeding approaches, but we've tried probably quite a quite a few options. Oh yes, very good. Let's jump over to your goats for just a little bit. You mentioned you have boar Kiko sure. crosses. Is that what you have always had? Mm-hmm. We started with just boar goats, and if you, if um, for folks who are listening, they're not familiar with goats. Boar are kind of the I like to compare them to like the Angus oh, of yes. the of the meat world, meat breed world. And of course, people might or of the meat goat world, but of course, some people may you know argue that maybe there's better um, there's better breeds in the beef world too. But they're right. you're pretty well known for their body composition for being a meat animal. And so that was um, important for us. It's important to me, especially when we look at like marketability for animals in the long run as we continue to grow our herd and and implement our grazing practices. We also um, learned that we needed to have that. I guess I'll put not all goats are cut out for grazing and being working animals. Um, Doesn't mean that they're not, you know, they don't have purpose other places or can work in other right. management, other styles of farming management. But, um, you know, we still have lines that are from our original oh, yes. foundational herd. But as we continue to work in great, you know, grazing, we've also, we um, learned that parasite management is really important, not only just in how you manage your, your pasture and your, your herd, but also genetically speaking. And also because we are also, so the parasite piece was really important to us, but also because we wanted to move to being all, um, forage based, um, you know, all grass fed, we really wanted to work on improving rate of gains on forage only so because of that then we've started to incorporate kiko into our herd my goal is to really have that hybrid between the two so we can continue to have the meat structure for the boar but in the marketability but also have the hardiness of the kiko goat but um yeah so that's kind of where how our herd has evolved over the years so you have a combination of the breeds 
when you're looking at bucks, are you you just buying Kiko bucks mm -hmm. now? Are you raising your own bucks, or are you you still bringing in some boar genetics? Yeah, so we have um, one boar buck that we that we alternate breeding with. Um, but most of where we've invested our time and money and probably more of our breeding has been with oh, our yeah. two Kiko bucks. And so we, we purchased those. I never said I would drive far away to buy livestock and <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what I did. Um, but you know, you look at it's a, you know, since we already had a, a found, you know, a herd of does, the easiest way to expand what we were doing and add genetic diversity is, is obviously through oh, yes. the herd sires. So we ended up purchasing two um, Kiko bucks from McGuire family farms oh, okay. in Indiana. Um, I, re I really wanted to find, I didn't want to drive too far, but we drove far enough, but um, finding goats that um, sourcing animals from a farm who has oh, similar yes. management practices, I learned that was really the important piece. And um, a number of their their lines have come from goats that have tested in some of the you know different um, university um, pasture management tests. Um, so it's that was important to us. Um, you know we've had them in our herd now for probably about three years. Um, you know as we look f move forward, I would love to find um, another boar buck to work with just so I can kind of continue to add to my herd especially like with my younger our younger generation of animals who are more predominantly Kiko um, but I struggle to find maybe the right fit for the right you know the right genetics from the boar goats that do well on on right. forage you know or, or, or hay alone a lot of you know in our area um, boar goats have become more of um, show 4-H animal projects and um, and that, and that's fine, but it's, it, it's not really the right fit for, for what we're doing with our farm. Um, so I need to find, that's kind of on my, my wish list, find a, a boar buck that it does well on, on pasture, which I think is a, might oh, be yes. a big wish list, but I'm going to, someday I'll find it. But I've also contemplated, um, on retaining back a, a oh, buck yes. kit or two to see how we maybe could that have more boar characteristics that we could maybe look at utilizing for line breeding. But at this point I need, as our herd is growing, I, I don't think we're quite there yet. And I um, have more demand for our meat that it just makes sense to keep growing from within with our, our does and, and look for other options. And, and maybe down the road we can look at doing that as well. I think there's a, a real market for some Four goats that do really well on grass. I know they're out there, but as mm -hmm. you you mentioned, most of the people in my area with boar goats are raising them for show, and that's an entirely different management than I'm doing. So yes, mm -hmm. I I get that, and I struggled with some of the boars I had originally purchased because I didn't pay attention to that management piece. If if they're managed or, or I'm gonna use the word pampered um, in some of those cases they are I'm not saying mm -hmm. that for everyone so I don't want a whole bunch of emails sent to mm -hmm. me about boar goats um, but some are and I purchased some that had been mm -hmm. and I was doing a very non pampered system so it didn't work out good for me mm 
Yeah, and that's a, it's kind of been the tough part of where how the learning curve and building our herd. Um, I was hoping I'd be a lot farther along in my herd size and our growth, but it's taken time. I mean, I'm glad I'm where I'm at because I've learned a lot and have really focused on on what makes sense for us in terms of making sure being really focused on on calling out poor performers and looking at genetics and building within but it's um but because of where i started which i don't know how much more i could have changed just given that i probably wouldn't have gone very you know too far away to source animals you know it's it's just yeah it's you know where i'm asking a lot more of my goats than maybe others are, are um and not that you know, if someone wants to feed grain, that's fine. But I think there's, you know, you can support an animal a lot more with that, with that, you know, supplemental feed than having them, uh, you yes. know, kind of provide for themselves with being fed just forage. So it's, yeah, it, it's been, it's, it's been, a, been, it's a been a long journey, path, yes. but a good one. Um, yes. <laughs> the journey is probably a good way to put it. <laughs> now you mentioned earlier, uh, about your interior fences and we really didn't talk about your interior fences mm-hmm. yet so tell oh, us yes. a little bit mm-hmm. more about your interior fences sure so um we have our pastures our three main pastures kind of um border around our farm property and or our main like where our farmhouse is at in our building so it's kind of like a c and to be able to kind of do a full rotation depending on the groups we have um, we subdivide our are two pastures that flank like the house and the barns and things like that with um, I run I've just um, poly wire down the center two oh, strands yes. of it on step in posts and that kind of acts as my to divide it so that way when I run a group through we can kind of do like a circle like kind of a a full rotation of it without getting to the end and then having to you know it just works well for animal flow to then go back out the same oh, gate yes. that we came because there's not yeah. a gate connecting the one end. So we do we subdivide in the center with that that's those step and posts. We didn't always do that. We had just made L's with our portable fencing, but I found that using the poly wire with the step and posts and a couple permanent fence posts have been really helpful for just streamlining moves. Um, I do have to be a little bit more um, attentive to cleaning outer cut or trimming the the grass along there because um that tends to be opportunity for oh, rounding yes. out more just with having that the strands there but then um we subdivide everything else so that stays there for the summer i usually will do some maintenance on it um after winter because with my dogs running loose sometimes they usually or the deer there's some damage to the fence so i have to i have to fix that up but then to subdivide our our, our, our um, paddocks we're using gallagher's smart fence so it's uh, all um, like four reels in one system with fence posts built in, and um, we'll just build the two um, build the two sides with that fence, um, and then um, kind of you know then build the next paddock with another with another fence and just move them through. It works pretty slick just because it's um, an all-in-one system. Um, I probably. You know, our goats, like, because they trust the hot wire, they work pretty well with the hot wire in the center, the poly wire, the two strands. I probably could get away with less. I don't think they would, um, I don't trust them enough with, like, one wire, but, um, 
but the, that system, that four wire strand system works pretty well. We had started off using electronet fence, um, which worked fine, but it just got to be, we were at one time we were grazing three different groups and it just got to be too cumbersome for moving groups every few days. Um, now we're grazing two groups. At one point we were grazing, um, a group of dairy buck kids. So we have a lot of dairy goat farms in our area. So we were also feeding out male dairy goats for meat. And so we had separate groups, but, um, it just got to be too much using that fence. So the Gallagher fence has been a great option. We do when we graze outside of our pasture. This, um, I will use the electro net fence. It's funny because I sold it when I got the oh. Gallagher fence. But now that I want to graze outside of our perimeter fence, um, I now I'm back oh, using yes. electro net fence. But out there, without a perimeter fence, I feel a lot more comfortable um, keeping our dogs in, our goats in, um, and then also keeping the wildlife kind of right. at bay so we will use that to graze in our woods and then this year um i will also do a pass a grazing pass through our hay fields as well oh, with that yes. fencing. now your your gallagher smart fence mm-hmm. do you have multiple multiple deals of it not the right word wouldn't be reels multiple i call it a reel <laughs> oh, even okay. though there's four reels in one yeah we have i think i oh, have yes. like nine sus- or ten i suspected you so. had multiple ones mm-hmm. uh, I yes. I used I purchased one I used it a little while, but um, mm-hmm. at the time I was fairly early in my electric fence journey and I don't think I had my fence quite mm-hmm. grounded good and good enough because an electric fence in my for me had to be really hot to keep goats in. Yeah, and I found with our goats that we have to fence train them um, every season. The older does you know that have been around will remember but we usually do a series of fence training to help them remember or the new kids learn um what the alert you know what how the electric fence works i guess it's probably the best way to say it um because we've had you know we've run into issues where we've gotten some you know some of our like feeder goats and we've um or thought, oh, we'll just put them out, and then of course oh, they yes. bust through, you know. And in the perimeter fence, it's not a big deal, but it, you know, it takes them a little while to learn. So we've done, if we do the training up front in the spring, and I usually will do that over a series of days. Um, and it also helps them get adjusted from dry hay, you know, to fresh pasture too. It seems to make a big difference for keeping them in the perimeter or in the the perimeter fence. Usually is an issue, oh, but inside yes. the the paddock right. fencing, and then of course keeping it hot, keeping the um, and, you know, minimizing any opportunity for grounding out. We also found, too, that we needed a stronger energizer because we were running so many, compared to when we oh, were yes. initially planning to for sizing our energizer, you know, we have small acreage, but we also are running way more polywire than oh, yes. like a, a beef operation where you have, you know, a beef grazer well, where you've got one right. strand I'm running four strands and at the time it was you know three groups it's yeah it's um draws a lot so it's that's how that's making some of those changes and doing the fence training has helped a lot with the goats and making sure they of course they have enough to eat so oh yeah (laughs) now what size of energizer are you running now so we are using um we have one energizer that runs all the electricity for all of our fencing on the farm and so we have an m1500 um, gallagher so it has up to 15 stored jewels um you know and when we're running it it's somewhere probably around like seven to eight typically is you know what if i run the tester oh yeah so um you know 
we make sure it's always on. Um, we can't cheat and just have the fence up and they, they figure it out pretty fast. Um, so that part is pretty important. And, and then also like our, our dogs respect it too, but they also are ones that as much as they love their goat herd, if they have a chance to like run off just for fun, you know, to, because they can, they yeah, will do that. Best. So I always want to make sure that they stay where they need to be too. <laughs> yes. I don't blame you for doing that. Now you've mentioned you um, train your goats to the fence each year. Tell us a little bit more about that process. Yeah, so what I'll do is we will, um, once we're getting close to getting out on, on pasture, I will set up a small fence um, from the walkway that goes from the barn out to the pasture, and I'll just make a little loop um, big enough that once the goat, all the goats come out, um, chances are they're going to be so into what eating the grass that they probably will bump noses on the fence. And so I will um, usually bring, I'll bring a lawn chair too and my crook and I'll just watch (laughs) um, and try to keep, I keep track more of the younger goats. The older goats I'm not as concerned about. Um, Yes. And typically I'll watch to see who, um, who gets, you know, a little zap. Um, It doesn't hurt them. Um, Of course, people are listening. They know that if they're they're grazers, but it doesn't hurt them. But it, you know, it definitely gets their attention about where they're not supposed to go. And so I keep track of who who gets zapped and then um, watch for anybody who, you know, when they're testing it, if they jump out, you know, I'll I'll help them get back in. So we'll do that um, for maybe a you know, an hour or two, and then I'll, I'll close up the gate to the pasture. Part of it is also, again, getting their room and acclimated. Um, the next oh, day yes. I'll do a little bit longer period. And then the following day again, and once it seems like they all have experienced the joy of the electric fence, <laughs> yes. then we're pretty ready to go, um, to move out on pasture. And usually the kids will follow the lead of their moms, but it's good for them to be aware of that too. And then once we're out on pasture, I usually will um, make sure I'm checking the herd at least twice a day, just to make sure if a kid gets out, they can get back in. Um, usually because they're little enough, they can they can get through it, but once in a while they can't. And since they're still nursing, I want to just make sure that, you know, there's no issue of somebody left behind. Um, but then oh, after... Yes you know, a week or two, they usually all have gotten a pretty good feel of, or remember the routine of of grazing. So, but it makes a big difference because if goats haven't been done, you know, experienced the electric fence, then it's, you know, they'll bust through, um, or they'll be more likely to, um, to peruse through it. So it's kind of an important step that we take, but, um, it seems to work well for us. So can you you tell us a little bit more about your feeder kid enterprise? Sure. Um, so we're doing this um, to help have more inventory of meat since a lot of our, our kids that we're growing right now are um, being retained to help build our herd and we're still growing. So we're sourcing, because we're, we're grazing and we're, you know, we're pasture-based and we have to be a little bit choosy or picky um, about you know in terms of where we're how we're sourcing our goats um, and so well, there's a couple of farms in our area that um, do have similar management practices not quite the same but fairly similar where they're utilizing pasture in their management systems um, or they're even um, doing some brush management work and so we've worked with them to 
purchase market kids to feed out on our farm. So it kind of depends. It typically on the situation with, with the farm, but we've, um, to, in most situations we are purchasing them after weaning. Um, and we will, um, then bring them to our farm. We'll get them adjust. We'll, um, put them in a pen in the barn, feed hay, kind of monitor to make sure adjustments kind of, you know, that transition of moving to a new location, um, kind of works. Everything kind of looks good and in check. There's no health issues. And then we will do our, our fence training. Um, usually we'll do our fence training. Sometimes my husband gets excited and wants just to move them out so we have one we don't have anybody in the barn and I'm like oh we need to fence train or then we have problems like we talked (laughs) about before um but so we'll do fence training (laughs) then we'll move them out on pasture and um we have grazed them as in a separate group um in the past um now we are just merging them with our with our weaned market kids or their or um in the past we've put them with our weaned market kids this year I think we will um we're going to let our our own market kids self wean with our does so we'll just graze them with our with our um breeding bucks in the perfect world i'd like to have them separate from our breeding stock just for biosecurity purposes and bird health but it's you know i'm running the farm 95 percent of the time on my own um i mean that's the way it is and i have two small kids so it's we kind of have to make choices on you know, time and how much right. I can do with grazing groups and so forth like that. And what we have for land utilization. Cause I also don't want to have my, my bucks just sitting in the barn either. So we've, um, we will great, we'll graze them with our, with our breeding bucks. And then, um, so we'll finish them usually about sometime around like January, February. And so part of the reason we finish them a little bit later, um, is just because of accessibility to, um, processing facilities in our area everybody seems to be especially if they're they're pasture based um, wanting to harvest in the fall and so we've just found it um, prior even to COVID hard to get in to our processors oh, yes. um, especially USDA so we've just bumped back our processing dates to be in January and February when we start our first round of processing and it actually has worked well for us because we're trying to harvest our animals a little bit um, at heavier weights than what we might see like in our our, our regional livestock markets, which kind of tend to be the trends somewhere between 50 to 70 pounds for market kids. We're trying to get to about somewhere between um, 80 to about like around 80 pounds. I'd love to get our, our market goats to 90 if we could. Um, part part of it is to um it's kind of a multiple piece on that um it one is that even though the livestock markets show that demand is for smaller goats we found with our direct market this is kind of diving into the direct market side of things um people still even though they're buying you know they're buying goat meat from us and goats are smaller they still are expecting larger more meat larger cuts of meat even a, 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 a oh yes um you know a whole goat if you compare it to a lamb is still like substantially smaller than than a than um than a lamb and so you know we're just looking oh, at yes. how can we utilize still maintain the meat quality but also maximize you know get a little bit more meat yield per carcass 
um, not only for quality, you know, quantity and size of cuts for our customers, but also to really um, maximize that processing fee because process, the fee for processing goats is really ex is is pretty pricey per pound. So if we have a carcass size that's a little bit larger, that can really help us in a number of ways um, for maximizing our our expenses, but also then the expectation of customers as well. So um, that's typically how we work with the feeder, that feeder program. We do um, one of the farms that we've sourced goats from that is utilized with like a brush man, excuse me, brush management grazing program. We've um, purchased from them late, late season and we've um, moved them in with our herd and, and then continue to graze them and then finish them with the rest of our goats. Mo ideally, we want to be bringing them in after weaning and having them have more time, you know, spent on, on pasture here, but we kind of are working, working with our options best with the options we have available for sourcing goats that are managed right. similarly to us. Um, Cause a lot of our demand is based in, um, as we kind of get into marketing later too, is, is really based in the, a lot of our customers are in the are interested in grass-fed meats and the local foods avenue so we really have to keep to that core um because of our customer base but also because it reflects like how we're man you know how we're managing our goats we can't really take it's tough it'd be challenging to take in feeder goats that are are from genetics that are raised in a more um let's say confinement practice uh leslie before we move on to our overgrazing section and discuss more into your marketing uh, two questions first. What are some challenges you've had in your journey thus far? Yeah, I think um, challenges would be um, with raising goats on pasture really, and it's true I think of other small ruminants, is really managing our herd for um, parasites, for parasite management, both in management practices and how we graze and also um, continuing to build a hardier herd just genetically and also specifically tailored for our environment, um, you know, our, our unique needs for where we're located. And then also, I think, um, just being able to, it's kind of tied to that, but also um, not growing as fast as I was anticipating um, with my plans. It's just taken more time. Um, but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's not a lot of, of um farms who are grazing goats. And so I'm, I'm kind of taking the approach of, I knew, I knew what I needed, what I was going to do, but utilizing goats in this type of management practice is not as common. And so it's, you know, I'm kind of working on, it's taken more time just to work with what I have to get to where I'm going. So, but. True. You point out a very uh, real lack of resources about grazing goats. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I'd say, you know, and as you, as you mentioned that, I think the other piece too, with goats, even beyond just lack of resources with grazing, it's in general with goats, there's not a lot of resources at all. Oh, Usually yeah. they get lumped in with, with, um, sheep, which they're, I mean, they're similar to some degree, but you know, from anything from, you know, university research to how much veterinarians study them and in, in school to, you know, met industry um, products that are focused on them that are, you know, also tailored to being lifestyle, as I put do air quotes that people can't see lifestyle <laughs> animals, you know, it's great that you have a goat product, but I'm also not gonna, 
I have a business I'm running too, so I can't pay a ton of money for it either. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. But um, so that's another piece with raising goats too has been a challenge, but you know, you kind of learn as you go and learn from others and keep, keep doing what you're doing. So. Right. Right. I, um, just on my journey growing up with cattle, you know, we had a few goats when I expanded and had a, a real herd of goats or flock of goats. I'm sure there's another term for goats and I don't even know what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, the, there's a real learning curve there. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, they're not little cattle. They're, they're not sheep. Um, my sheep had their own learning curve or maybe I'm a slow learner, but there was a very real learning curve there to, to get you just up to speed and going. So mm -hmm. it, it takes longer than what you think it will. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And coupled with your challenges, but kind of the opposite in where do you see yourself going in the future? Yeah. So the, um, the herd itself, I'm, my plans, oh, well, we'll see how it probably might take longer than I'm anticipating based on how long I've gotten to where I'm at now. But I'm hoping in probably about five years, I'm at the herd size that I'd like to be at somewhere about um, 60 to 70 head of, head of goats where we're direct marketing most of those. Um, and that's really the main focus of where I want to continue, you know, continue to grow our, our direct to consumer business too, for selling our goat meat. A lot of what we've sold in the past and up until now has been predominantly wholesale accounts, which have worked well, but with the um, onset of COVID, you know, we, we kind of, it worked out, but you know, we had to kind of shift on how we were marketing our, you know, our, our meat um, just because of restaurant shutdown and, and restaurants, understandably so, you know, and not knowing what their, you know, buying trends were going to be. And we're obviously a specialty product. So we're probably, you know, the first on the chopping block for making decisions oh. on versus maybe some more traditional forms of protein too. So, but, true, um, true. but yeah, that's the direction is continuing to expand into our, our direct to consumer market and, and get that, our herd, um, you know, have our herd grow, you know, some other things on our farm, I want to continue to um, renovate our silvopasture or our area with our, our oak savanna so we can utilize that as pasture. That's going to take quite a bit of time. I've also contemplated thinking about um, like how we can continue to utilize more of our, our goat, our goats themselves. So we do, we sell quite a bit of organ meat, but are there other things we can do in terms of utilizing their hides, you know, after after oh, they're yes. harvested some of those things. And so, um, those are pieces that I think as we, as I continue, you know, down the road, looking at how, how does that play a role in, in how we're, um, you know, utilizing the whole animal and also maximizing, you know, opportunity with those animals too, because a lot of, especially with goats, I mean, I know it's true with other species too, but especially with goats, a lot of that is just waste. So. Very good. And that segues right into our overgrazing section where we take a deep dive into one of your practices mm -hmm. and we're going to talk more about your marketing to consumers mm -hmm. for goat meat because at least in my area, goat meat is not traditionally consumed and uh, it's a little bit, or for, for my area, it'd be a harder sell than if I was selling lamb or, or beef. Can you tell us some about your marketing and how it's going for you? Sure. So our market, um, you know, we, we are, I, I'm fortunate that we are close to a major metro area that's 
pretty diverse in itself um, with folks from different cultural backgrounds. But what's been interesting is that, you know, most, um, you know, and I, I, as I looked into goats, part of it is with the, the changing cultural demographics, but a lot of people assume that most of our market is in the cultural market and which is true you know there is a a good percentage of our customer base that falls into i guess is categorized in that market um but that that market itself is so diverse it's hard to you know focus in on that unless you're looking at maybe certain specific demographics which you know can be challenging but what we found is actually as we've continued to grow and get involved in our community um, is that the area that's really have taken off for us is the local foods market and folks who are just interested in supporting local farms and grass-fed meats from the wellness side of things um, typically those folks are um, not all of them, but they may consider themselves to be foodies. I mean, I use that word in a, in a, in a friendly term. I consider myself a foodie too. They, you know, they love good food. Um, the food's an experience. It's about trying new, new, um, new cuisines and new dishes and new types of food. And that's really where we've seen an area of growth and it kind of started gradually and it, we've just seen we've seen a lot of growth in that area. And, and it's interesting is that, you know, there's obviously some overlap in the two groups. Um, but it's so we've really focused on trying to kind of target and serve both of those markets but we continue to see a lot of growth in the local food space and part of it is i found that um even if they grew up eating goat meat or maybe grandma made it for a special occasion they don't know how to how to cook it or not everybody i mean i'm generalizing but a lot of people don't feel comfortable with cooking and then it's also a, a bigger investment um, then even, you know, buying beef or lamb just because the, the cost, the, you know, the cost per pound typically is, is higher than other proteins. And so a lot of folks can be intimidated by it. So I found, um, whether it's in either market that we serve that I've had to learn how to cook and prepare the meat myself. I've kind of served as a part of my education and marketing is really taking a values approach and a mar an education approach of helping our customers learn how to cook and use goat meat, um, find different, share different recipes of different ways to experience goat meat. Because sometimes I think people also have different impressions of what goat meat is or what, how it should taste. And it can actually take on different life of its own, depending on how you prepare it and what type of cultural, you know, cuisines that you're using. And so a big part of our marketing has really been focused on, um, customer education or helping them, um, learn different ways to cook it and inspire them to utilize the protein in different ways. And so as you look, even like on our website, we have, we're continuing to build out op opportunities with different recipes and different ways to cook goat um, meat. And that's really um, has helped a lot with also with, um, you know, serving our customers, but also building our customer base as well. I think you touch on a, a excellent point there, at least for me, um, how do you cook goat? Mm -hmm. And I know, notice on your website, you have recipes. Do you do other educational things for cooking goat or is your, is your uh, website your main avenue? Our website is the main avenue. It's kind of the central hub for where information from our, our um, farm kind of starts. But, and I'd like to do more 
on recipes and other guides and so forth. It's just a matter of where I get time, you know, but I've got to be out, you know, in the goat barn or out in the pasture and so forth. But, um, you know, we, a lot of that information is housed on our website, but then we, but then I will be, um, but then it works off of a lot of our other marketing um, platforms. So, you know, we do have like when we pack orders, a lot of our recipes, um, we have printed out in recipe cards. So we will always send a recipe card with, um, based on cuts that people order. Um, if somebody is a more regular customer, I don't always send recipe cards because I oh, yeah. figure they probably have a good idea of what, um, of what they're doing at this point too. But, um, you know, we'll use that, you know, in the print form, but then also, um, you know, in our email newsletter that our email marketing that we send out, um, twice a month that corresponds with order deadlines, we'll usually have a recipe that's featured. And so that ties back, it's connected back to our website in that regard, you know, we'll utilize those and social media with Instagram and, and, and Facebook as well too. So it's, we kind of get, I like to get kind of multi-purpose a lot of our, our content on our website and other areas to share that, but we're always looking for new ways to, you know, help share and inspire um, folks to want to try go meat or, consume it more. Um, and we've also looked at ways too, from a marketing perspective of folks who are looking to eat goat meat more regular, who have maybe had it in their, uh, more commonly, you know, in their diet, um, or at least have access to it in the past. You know, we do sell some whole goats. People are still more comfortable buying cuts of meat versus a large quantity of meat, even though a whole goat is only maybe like 30 pounds of meat, which isn't a lot when you compare it to like, you know, if you bought like a half a beef or a whole beef, oh, yes. um, a side of beef. But um, I found that we are, we've, we've looked for ways to how can we manage our inventory? Cause we have um, freezer storage on the farm with our inspected meat. And so we're looking at, you know, um, how can we serve customers who want to buy a whole goat? Because traditionally, you know, that's, how they've been able to purchase a goat and they've looked they, or they want to look for more value in buying in bulk. So we've also added options for purchasing like bulk boxes. So it's kind of, it's not the same as buying a whole goat, but in a lot of times it still meets that need because, um, you know, it's those bulk boxes are more focused on our ground and our stew meat, which are pretty versatile cuts that, um, you know, if you're eating goat meat more frequently, you have, those are more, common cuts to be um, incorporated into your, you know, regular menu planning. Not that folks don't enjoy, you know, goat chops or, or shanks and so forth, but, um, you know, we've tried to adapt our, our marketing in our, in our, you know, our, the, and having supply in hand and the piece of how often we're harvesting to try to have goat meat more frequently. So part of that is how do we look at how we package options for our customers to, you know, either if they fit into the, 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 the area of wanting to try, you know, new types of proteins um, and new different dishes, you know, the food experience to having goat meat be, you know, just more frequent in their normal, you know, kitchen list of, you know, kitchen staples and items that they can pick from, from their freezer. So those have been really kind of our, our, our main approach. You know, I'd say our, I mean, approaches, a lot of our marketing though is really driven in the digital space of utilizing, um, you know, it all comes back to our website, but utilizing our email marketing platform and then utilizing social media to help drive people to our email list. So we can continue to um, grow our customer, our prospective customer base. 
that's been really um, critical for us for our for our growth. We still, even though we ship most of our our, our direct to consumer um, meat, um, we also do have on farm pickup option for our local customer. You know, our oh, customers yes. in our local area um, to give them access without necessarily needing to have something be mailed to them. Oh yes. Now uh, you mentioned your email list. How do you utilize your email list? Um. So we course we have um. We ship twice a month, so we have order deadlines on our website for um, that correspond with those ship dates. And so I send an email out um, about five to three to five days before that that order deadline. Um, and typically, so it, it kind of corresponds nicely because then there's if we have a special or something, then it's all tied into that email, but the email, oh, I yeah. really try to provide value in the email. So part of it, there's an update from the farm. Um, it, there's typically a recipe or something that's cooking focused. Um, there may be something that's tied to some relevant news or information that's um, tied to our farm. So, you know, for example, um, I probably will link to this podcast, um, you know, or we've been featured in the newspaper or other things. Um, oh, yes. If there's some fun, I try to push content back to our website just because that helps with web traffic and getting continuing that to have our customers work with us versus going to social. But sometimes there's some always like new fun things that you can do on Instagram. So every once in a while, oh, I'll, yes. I'll send them over to Instagram for something fun that I, I did. But I really try to... Um, we have sales in there, but I try to make it more than just sales because I see this really as being a relationship tool and adding value for our customers. And then, um, but then we do, you know, do have typically have some type of special that's in there. And a lot of times I try to coordinate it with what the, with, what the recipe is. That is not always the case, but then we have, um, date, you know, then we'll have our order deadlines on there for shipping and for farm pickup as well too. Um, because I also want to be clear that, you know, if they want to order that they can, um, oh, yes. and, you know, and make that ask for that sale. But, um, so it's kind of a mix and sometimes, you know, during the year we may have a lull in inventory, but we still will do, I'll still do a communication at least once a month to kind of stay in touch with our, our customers. Cause I really see it as, um, in the digital space, email marketing, and even being on social is they're just continual touch points to continue to build relationships and transparency with your customers. Um, it's really important. I think it's also what really sets us apart as direct market farmers is that, um, yeah, somebody else could be raising and selling goats or another business could be selling goat meat, but you know, it's part of the package of branding is who we are as farmers and our story is part of, um, you know, we make that connection with our customers. And so um, that's built into our, our marketing, but yeah. So um, yeah, that's how our, our email tr marketing traditionally works that way. I talk a lot too. <laughs> Very good. You have provided wonderful information. I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation so much, but it is time we move on to our famous four. Yes. Our famous four are the same questions we ask of all of our guests, and I'm pretty sure they're famous, but if they're not, they will be famous soon. So what's your favorite grazing grass-related book or resource? Um, my favorite book is um, Dirt to Soil by Gabe Brown. I really like the book um, well, in a variety of fashions of, I heard him speak in an all day program, which is basically, it was like his, his book in presentation oh, form. Yes. But um, 
you know, he, he just has a great delivery method of talking about how he transitioned his farm over time. But I also, as a grazer who, and someone who's in regenerative agriculture that is in a Northern client, the Northern kind of tier of climate um, right. in, our, in yes. our country, I also um, really I found his his practices and some of his approaches to be really um, intriguing in terms of like I, I I bought the I listened to it audio wise but then I bought the book after and started to make notes in it because ultimately I'd like to when I have some more time again which I need to think I need to carve it out but I think there's a lot of takeaways that I could you know even though I'm he's totally different type of farm or ranch than what we're doing I think there's a lot of things that I could apply to what we're doing on our farm just from the sheer fact of um similar climate and 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 things in that regard so and i've got so it that's one of my favorite my favorite um, grazing resources very good our second question what tool could you not live without on your farm i'd say probably my shepherd's crook oh yes that's that's the first time that's been the answer for the favorite <laughs> tool on the farm, but I totally get it. But go ahead and tell us about it. Yeah, so we have. Um, I have. I probably call it like a modernized shepherd's crook. I have a kiwi crook, and so it was. Oh, I okay. think, Based out of, I think New Zealand is. Of course, you probably get feedback from people who listen. I believe um, kiwis are from New Zealand, if I'm remembering the right area, and it's um, it's a fiberglass crook with like a plastic. Of course, I'm using my hands, but nobody else is going to see. But it's a <laughs> yes. traditional crook. If you think of the um, the curved top that's cut that, that on, on the top, but then it also has a little tool on the other end that's good for um, grabbing legs, and it's just oh, a great yes. animal handling tool because um, goats are fast, and if if I can reduce kind of doing goat rodeo, I kind of. <laughs> point it that way <laughs> yes. you no know, especially in pa- in the pasture when it's harder to like if there's a goat that i need i want to get a closer look at that i might be concerned about something um or check on a kid um that crook can help me grab the animal fast and quick and in a, a safe manner that causes um, not a lot of stress versus if i didn't have it i'd be doing a lot of chasing um it's harder you know in an electric paddock to try to corner them so like it yes. helps me accomplish that task a lot faster and once goats know you're uh, that you want to um get a hold of them um that one particular goat they know and then there's a lot harder to get a hold of them so oh, this yes. kind of makes that yes. tool this tool works um really well and i highly recommend um this particular crook so Very we have good. a his we also actually have two of them we have a his and a hers um, oh yeah. So when we when we did to do major animal handling, we both my husband and I both have our own crook. So <laughs> very good. And you don't let him use yours, right? Well, so, we don't have them yeah. labeled, so they're kind of interchangeable. So oh yeah. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you started this journey? I would say um, be patient and know that with grazing livestock it's there's so many factors that come into play with your goals of raising livestock that um 
that a lot of them are out of your control and that you have to work with. You know, Mother Nature throws a lot more at you as a grazer in terms of working within the environment. Even just that you think of like the environment as like the ecosystem around you and how you're managing your farm. And so it's, you know, it takes time to learn the practice of grazing. And I've talked a little bit about this before too, but also continuing to grow your herd for your farming operation. Um, not every, you know, especially with goats, not all goats are cut out to be grazers. And even goats that, you know, may have been in similar, you know, every farm is a little bit different. And so it's having patience to know that there's, there'll be learning curves and it'll take time to get to where you want to go. But it's, um, it's not a cut and fast path. Like it might be if you're, you know, have a lot more control over all the external factors, but you'll get there, but you just need to have patience. And in the long run, it's, you know, it's a long game. I think it's, it's, it's yep, a good it path, is. but it's, um, patience is, is key. It's not an overnight process for becoming, um, a grazer and being happy with your, your herd and your, your system and so forth. It takes time. Excellent advice. Where can others find out more about you? Sure. Um, all of our, a lot of our information about our farm, um, and I have a blog with a lot of um, information about how we're raising our goats and, and also on the, on the meat sale side of things um, is on our website, CylonRollingAcres.com. And so that's kind of all things. Our farm is there. I have an email list also for folks who are interested in learning about how we raise our goats on pasture. I do kind of an update on what's going on in the farm, more on the farming side of things versus like what we do with our customers. And then um, I'm also on social media with Facebook and Instagram um, at our handle of our farm, um, Silent Rolling Acres. I'm more active on Instagram um, just because there's a lot more. I think it's it lends well for um, for what we do in agriculture with visually oh, yes. speaking and what we're doing. So, but definitely um, those are places where folks can find me. Very good. We will post links to that in our so show notes. Mm -hmm. Leslie, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us today. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Again, we want to thank Leslie for coming on to the podcast. Greatly appreciate her sharing about her experience with meat goats. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And as always, we appreciate you listening and encourage you to share this episode with someone who might find it valuable. Also, leave a comment, review, any or all of the above. And as always, keep on grazing. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider 
Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. Until next time, keep on grazing grass.